Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. pastor of a church have the least relevant job in the congregation. You, unless you're a pastor and I don't know, you could be, you all have work where you meet and interact with people every single week. In this this church, there are contractors, baristas, there are small business owners, there's teachers, there's pharmacists, there's stay-at-home parents, there's photographers, there's realtors, there's artists, there's some who are unemployed, whether that be intentionally or not. Our church family is comprised of a wide, wide range of vocations and callings. And so talking about work is important. And as we talked about last week, it's not our job, uh, it's not your job to equip us for the work of the ministry, it's our job to equip you. And since uh, we found out this week, Gettysburg uh, College did a study that the average American will spend 90,000 hours at work during their lifetime. How, how many of you does that seem not <laughs> high enough? <laughs> I thought it would be actually higher than that. That's approximately one-third of your life. So we have to talk about, from the perspective of the kingdom of God, what it looks like to follow Jesus, to love like Jesus in and through our jobs. Now, I, I know when I kind of on standing on the outside looking in, when I hear people talk about doing a series on work at a church, I kind of get like, you know, the part where you like throw up in your mouth a little bit. Because usually when I hear, see these series like this, it's usually some version of like, Jesus loves you, but get a job, you freeloader. I mean, it's really like judgmental and just mean when they talk about this stuff. And so, like, hesitant is. Not, uh, not, not uh, saying it lightly as we talk about these things. I know um, as we see our work, as we interact with coworkers throughout the week, um, as we have different ideas of success, we don't want to come in this room and just put a Jesus bumper sticker on the American dream and call it a day. We don't want to do that. We want to have a kingdom vision for work and rest. Amen. We want it to look like Jesus. And so we start where our story begins in Genesis. God, in his creativity, speaks the world into existence. Just what we've been singing today. And it culminates in in the creation of us, humanity, as we are made in his image and his likeness. And what we see here in Genesis chapter 2 is the first time it talks about work, it's not after the fall. It's actually before. Work was a part of God's good creation. Work was, in the beginning, part of what made us image bearers. It says here in Genesis 2, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Notice here first that before the fall, there is God-ordained, life-giving work. It's foundational for us. Work is part of what it means to flourish as an image bearer. Work is part of what it means to live into the fullness of our image bearing life as co-creators with God. 
And, and then the Hebrew word here is really significant. This is word avada. Say that with me, avada. It's a good one. It means to cultivate, to work, or to serve. That word cultivate is really important because it's not just doing something. Cultivate, if you've ever had a garden or you've had little plants in your windowsill, it takes work to cultivate. It takes planting. It takes watering. It takes weeding, protecting. And it's not a one-time job. Over and over and over again, you are cultivating life. You are caring for the life that is growing right in front of you. And that's the word that the Bible uses for our work, is to cultivate life. What we are to do as image bearers is to take the raw materials of creation, take the beauty of what God has created, and cultivate something beautiful, something meaningful. Not just that we have something to do, but we have something to do that gives life and brings life and makes us fully alive as we were called to be. But there's another meaning for this Hebrew word avada. It also means worship. To cultivate life is to create, and as we create then, it is to worship God. What we want to begin in this conversation is by saying what we see in the scriptures is that work is worship. Work as God intended is worship. That's God's intention in creation, but as we know, it doesn't stop at Genesis 2, Genesis 3 comes along, and we see mankind choose sin, choose rejecting God, rejecting his ways. And because of sin, our, our image-bearing roles, our identity, our purpose was distorted. It was distorted from what it was created to be, not just how we see ourselves, not just how we see creation, but how we see our work all fractured because of sin. Genesis 3 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it from all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. No one's putting that on a coffee cup. This speaks about work in the terms of the curse. And just a little sidebar here. This is where a lot of folks that talk about how women shouldn't be in leadership, they use Genesis 3, and, they're, and, and you know, talking about how the man will be over the woman and stuff. And, and you have to realize, that's the curse, not the calling, my friends. That's the curse. This is the curse of what work is. It's not the fullness of what it will be redeemed in Jesus. But there are days, let's be honest, work feels like a curse, doesn't it? Work does have that weight of sin and distortion. It's not what it was meant to be. There are days that work feels lifeless. It feels draining. It feels weary. Amen? It feels hard. There's two real, two real extremes, distortions, I think we see when we look at work through the lens of a broken world. The first distortion is we see work as the curse, not what has been cursed. You see the difference. Work is the curse by this distorted idea and not what has been cursed, not the creativity we were created for, the work we were created for, broken and fractured by sin. We're not working, we're not cultivating life, we're not making something meaningful with the time and the resources we've been given. 
And you might think that when you're avoiding work because you feel as if it's a curse, you may think that that's avoiding the curse itself, but it's actually embracing it. It's actually embracing it. We're living in a lie where intentionally or not, we are less than what we are created for when we see our work as part of the curse. We're becoming less of who we were made to be, not more. Now, I want to be really, really clear here because we're going to talk about this next week. But when we talk about people not working, this can be very, very heavy-handed in the church, can't it? This can be misused in very, very bad ways. A lot of times, unemployment is not the choice of the person. A lot of times, unemployment is because of choices made by others. A lot of times, unemployment is the source of injustice. There's issues of justice and equity when we talk about work and wealth that we cannot ignore. We don't have time today. We're going to talk about it next week. We'll hit on that. So I don't want you to hear that when we say work is not a curse, that we should do it, that if you're not able to have a job right now or you are unemployed, that you are somehow less than in the kingdom of God. You are not. That is not true. But there's a bigger issue, I think. I think there's a bigger distortion that is more prominent in um, the American way of life, more prominent even in the church. The second distortion is instead of seeing our work as worship, we worship our work. Work becomes God. I think this is the defining sin of the American life. We worship our work. We worship productivity. We worship our jobs. We worship our, our paychecks. We make work an idol. And now that we have smartphones, we never really leave work, do we? Unless we are intentional about leaving work, we always have it right in front of us. A 2019 poll found that almost half of Americans, 48% of Americans, consider themselves workaholics. Now, don't answer this out loud. Do you think you're a workaholic? Here's some signs. Forbes, I love this, Forbes magazine. Top seven signs that you are or could be a workaholic. Number one, this is not going to be on the screen, so just listen to this. You think of how you can free up more time to do more work. Number two, you spend much more time working than you initially intended to. Number three, you work in order to reduce feelings of guilt, anxiety, helplessness, depression. Number four, you have been told by others to cut down on work without listening to them. Number five, you become stressed if you are prohibited from working. Number six, you deprioritize hobbies, leisure activities, and or exercise because of your work. And finally, number seven, your work, you work so much that it has negatively influenced your health. This last one is actually very, very common. Studies have shown that those who are considered workaholics or have a work addiction are statistically more likely to suffer from high blood pressure, from anxiety, from depression, from lack of sleep, and are far more likely to experience a premature death. That's what happens when we live in a culture that worships our work. Let's be real. And again, you don't have to scream this out loud. I'm a workaholic. You don't have to scream this out. 
But does any of that feel familiar? Does any of that, when I'm reading this, feel like, oh, part of our discipleship, my friends, part of our on-the-ground discipleship is learning to ask the question of, how do I know if my work is becoming an idol? And let me be very clear. The easiest job to have work become an idol in is ministry. Ministry is the easiest job to make an idol. Because guess what? If you work harder in ministry, they think that God's blessing it. If you have more fruit from it, they think, oh, God must be in that. And you could be a straight-up idolater and being called and seen by everyone else as successful, but you are worshiping ministry and not God. It's shocking how much you can do for God without God and be seen as successful. Shocking. I've learned that not from a distance. I've learned that from experience. I've been a bad husband. I've been the guy who wanted to work and work and work. It's one thing to worship our work, and it's another thing to learn to see our work as our worship. When we worship our work, we are turning it in upon ourselves. Our work then becomes the mirror by which others see us, by which we see ourselves work as worship as we turn inward on our own hearts, turns us away from God. But as we learn to see our work, our jobs, as this avadah, this cultivation of life that honors and worships God, something becomes different. Now, when we talk about worship in the New Testament, how does Jesus define what it means to worship God? He says it's to love God and love our neighbor. Matthew 22 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, hold on to that phrase there, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. I hope you catch this. We've said this a lot around here. Jesus is making clear that loving God and loving people are the single, single, single most important thing in the scriptures. Everything points to this. If we don't love God and love our neighbor and know the Bible backwards and forwards, we still miss the point. Loving God and loving neighbor is what it means to worship and reflect the glory of God. The way we measure success then, the way we measure our understanding of how well we are doing is not in what we produce, it's not in how much we make, it's in how well we are loving God and how well we're loving our neighbors. Love is the measure of success in every single thing we're doing as a follower of Jesus. How well are we loving, not how much are we making, not how high are we climbing. How am I able to love? This is true in all of our discipleship. It's especially true in our work. This idea begins to explode in these these, these letters that Paul sends out in the, the New Testament, Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, do it, here's this phrase again, from the heart, all our heart, as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward as an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. 
Now notice here, there's a language of trajectory. It is from our hearts, out of our hearts. Our heart and scriptures are, is the seat of our desire and our will. So we are pointing the trajectory of the fullness of who we are towards God with our work. That's what worship, avada, means. It's to turn ourselves toward in all things, turn the desires and the wholeness of our hearts towards the Lord. Because as Paul says, it's for him. And I want to tell you why this is good news. Because this is not something that happens in a vacuum, these words. It's happening. It's being spoken to of people who are bondservants, who find themselves in a, a, a servanthood because of either war or because of debt. And so there's lots and lots of folks here that are, are, are finding themselves in the Roman Empire, 10% of the Roman Empire, in fact, that are bondservants. Paul's writing this in this particular context of these folks where work is not easy. He's not just saying, hey, do it from the Lord, and that's going to be easy. Do it as an act of worship, and that's going to be fine. No, this is good news for a particular reason for us. Because it means if I'm doing this for the Lord, my boss is not like the Lord. Amen? Our boss is not the Lord. The Lord is the Lord. So if we have a bad boss, and sometimes we have a bad boss, right? Anybody in here have had a bad boss before? I'm glad no one that's working here is raising their hands. <laughs> Our boss is not God. But we worship and we work as if we're doing this for the Lord, meaning that I don't have to gossip to make myself look better because I know who I am in Jesus. It means that I don't have to exploit my employees to increase the bottom line because I know who I am in Jesus. I'm doing this for the Lord. It means I don't have to sacrifice relationships. I don't have to betray others because I know who I am in Jesus. I don't have to live in this restless, joyless, exhausting, work-addicted life because I know who I am in Jesus. I don't have to cut corners and compromise in order to succeed because I know who I am in Jesus. Whatever I do, do it from the heart as if you're doing it for the Lord and not for people. That's the good news that Paul is freeing us into, not just telling us to do it in a Christian way, Paul is telling us to enter into our work as an opportunity to express our love for God and for people. There's a horizontal aspect to this too, worshiping through loving our neighbors. First Thessalonians 4, Paul writes that now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. That'd be good on the coffee cup. Mind your business. Paul, Paul said it. Mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I love these verses. We love our neighbors uh, through the kind of life and the kind of work that we choose. And Paul gives us this strange phrase. He says, make it your ambition, which is kind of like a running hard after living a quiet life. Now, is, is Paul taking these words and saying, 
be a, a mousy little person that doesn't really deal with anything else. Is that what he's saying? No, he's not telling us just to fade into the background. I think what he means by living a quiet life, making that our ambition is that in our life, in our work, we're not trying to draw attention to ourselves. It is very easy to think that but to be the Christian at work, we have to draw attention to ourselves. And what he is saying is that there is a kind of life that wins respect but is not demanding attention. There is a kind of life that inspires questions, that welcomes outsiders, and yet at the same time is not trying to get everybody to know that you're a Christian. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, a life that is noticeably different, but yet a life worthy of respect, a life worthy of being seen as one who welcomes and loves. Perfect picture of, I think, what it means to be Christ-like in our work, to live a life that demands an explanation, but does not demand attention. First Peter 3 speaks to this posture. We've used this verse many times, one of my favorite, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. What is Peter saying? He's saying that our life in Christ should be so noticeably different that people are actually asking questions as to why are you like this? Why are you hopeful? Why are you not in, in constant despair? You're not trying to get everyone's attention. You're not trying to climb over and above everyone else. You're not gossiping and, and treating others with disrespect and then calling yourself a Christian. There is a life you are living that demands an explanation, but yet it does not demand attention. It trusts that the Holy Spirit in the kind of life that we live will draw people and notice it doesn't say that you won't be spoken ill of. There are times that maybe because you choose not to step into the same patterns of this world in, the, in your work life, you may be maligned. But Paul says, as that happens, or Peter says, as that happens, keep a clear conscience. You know that you are living like Christ. You know that it's from the heart and towards the Lord, and therefore in the way that you work, your life demands an explanation, but it does not demand attention. And notice there at the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that, so you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, certain Christians, certain philosophers like to take this verse, pull it out, and what they love to do is to make this the, the, the idle verse of American self-sufficiency. They take this and say, here it is. The Bible says, get a job, stop being a freeloader, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get your stuff together. That's what it means to be a Christian. The problem is the rest of the Bible. I mean, think about that. I mean, what Paul is saying is he's saying here, 
go ahead and work and, and make enough money to take care of yourself so you don't have to have relationship with others, so you can be on your own some sort of completely self-reliant person. The whole scriptures gives you a completely different idea. It says we are made for one another. We are made for love with one another. Ephesians 4.28, it kind of echoes in this. We're freed to love one another generously. It says anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. The Bible is not preaching to us American self-sufficiency. It is preaching to us that as we work, we find the dignity of our calling, we find the dignity of our image-bearing reality, and we find the dignity of having something to give. What's something that, that was really helpful to me um, years ago now, uh, Melissa Tibbs, she actually, I remember talking about or us using the word empower, empowering the poor or empowering those who are in need. And, and she, uh, she very nicely corrected me in this, and I'm so glad I've, I've, I've understood this better, that it implies then that we have power and they don't. And what we're doing is offering them an opportunity to live into the dignity of what they already have. The image-bearing creation in them that they already have. We are empowered with our work, with our jobs, with our wealth, not for the sake of our own self-sufficiency, but for the sake of being generous with one another. For the sake of loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's what it means to flourish. Flourishing is not self-sufficiency, it's generosity. Flourishing is love for neighbor as ourself. If you want to look like the sons and daughters of God in your job, you won't be cut off on your own. You'll be the one who is known as generous. Because the truth is, is that one day our work will cease. One day we won't have a job. You know, I've done funerals for people who are Christians where their co-workers come in. I mean, that's kind of the polite, I should go to this funeral sort of a thing. I'm just going to walk by and say sorry. And I've also done funerals for Christians where their co-workers come in and talk about what an incredible witness their life was. How they loved them in very, very difficult times. How they cared for them in times of incredible need. They weep at the funeral of a co-worker because they saw Jesus clearly in their lives. There will be a day when it won't matter how much money we made. There will be a day when it will not matter how much we have produced. There will be a day when it will not matter how much money we raised, how many people came to our church. That will not matter. At the end, the legacy of our work will be how we loved. That will be how you will be remembered. And so if that is the case, maybe today is a time to repent. I don't say that as a bad word. That's a word of hope in the scriptures. That's a word of seeing what life is and turning towards it. Maybe you're like me and you struggle sometimes with making work an idol. Or maybe you have disregarded your job or your work as a curse and not seen what 
might be possible when we live into the fullness of our image-bearing identity. Whatever that is, whatever work you need to do and whatever work that God is speaking into you right now, let's, let's listen. Let's listen to what he is speaking. We're going to continue in this series to talk about many things in this regarding rest and margin, things we need to know in a modern American life, whatever that is right now. Just listen to what the Lord is speaking. I'll be in the back. I'd love to pray with you. I know Alicia will be back there too. Pray as well.